Today is January the 15th. This is the time of the year we bring attention to uh, the life and teachings of Lumpucha and uh, the countless incalculable gifts that he left behind for us that uh, we have inherited from his efforts, from his skill in teaching and his uh, example. Just after five o'clock in the morning, uh, Thai time, on the 16th of January, which is late in the evening, on the 15th, here in the UK, was when Mpucha breathed his last, his life came to an end. And numerous times in the suttas, people ask the Buddha, what do you say happens to an enlightened being when their life comes to an end? Where do they go? What happens to an enlightened one after the death of the body? And the Buddha would never speak of this. Say the very way the question is put, where do they go? Going doesn't apply. They don't apply. Where doesn't apply. Reappears in another realm. Reappears doesn't apply. Does not reappear. Does not apply. Do they both reappear and not reappear? No, that doesn't apply either. Do they neither reappear in another world, nor not reappear? No, that doesn't apply either. When the Buddha was asked about this by a young Brahmin called Upasiva, the Buddha replied, One who has reached the end has no criterion by which they can be measured. That which can be spoken of is no more. So the body, feelings, perceptions, a story, parents, birthplace, that which can be spoken of is no more. You cannot say they do not exist, but when all Phenomena or modes of being have been removed, or means of speaking have gone too. And one who has reached the end has no criterion by which they can be measured. That which can be spoken of is no more. You cannot say they do not exist. But when all phenomena or modes of being are removed, all means of speaking have gone too. This kind of teaching might be frustrating to the thinking mind or the, the habits of our conditioned thinking. It likes to believe in time and self and location. But it's pointing to a more profound realization. Like the Buddha saying, there is that sphere of being, that ayatana, 
where there is no sun, no moon, no stars, no coming, no going, no standing still, no dying, no reappearance. And that ayatana, that sphere of being, is the end of suffering. So it doesn't give much for our thinking mind to hang on to. The conceiving mind that shapes the world in terms of time and place and individuality. Me here, you there. I was in that place and I've come here. Off in the future I will go there. It gives that nothing to hold on to. How can we imagine a place where there is no coming, no going, no standing still? No time. Well, the Buddha was a genius in that he realized right from the very beginning of his teaching career that trying to give a description of the indescribable, to imagine the unimaginable, is pointless, is a waste of time. Rather, bring the attention to that which obstructs the mind, the heart, from realizing that unimaginable, from knowing that indescribable directly. Because that quality of Dhamma, that dimension of our being, which is neither coming nor going nor standing still, which is free of identity, time, location. It can't be described, but it can be realized. It can be known directly. It can be embodied. So the Buddha kept his attention upon the methods of training, guiding the body, the mind, in ways to remove the obscurations, the things that block that realization. And when those blocks, those obstacles have fallen away, then the truth speaks for itself. The Dhamma is itself already. It doesn't need to be described. There's a story of how when someone came to visit Lumpur Cha, they said, Lumpur, how old are you? In Wapapong, how long have you lived here? Do you live here all the time? And Lumpur Cha responded, I have no age and I don't live anywhere. He's a Buddhist monk, so he can't tell lies. It's against our Vinaya. <laughs> our monastic discipline. So what did he mean when he said, I have no age, I don't live anywhere? He's speaking the truth, but he's speaking the truth with the voice of the Dhamma itself. It's a real Dhamma teaching, a Dhamma desana, a demonstration of Dhamma. So when he says, I have no age, it's like the Dhamma has no age. That's what it's indicating. I don't live anywhere is to say the the Dhamma does not abide anywhere. Awareness doesn't apply in terms of 
that reality. Here and there, past and future, they don't apply. Oh, this might all sound a bit far out, intangible. But what this is pointing to is letting go of the understanding of Dhamma, the practice of Dhamma, in terms of self-view, and practicing Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma instead. Looking at life from a Dhamma perspective, a nature-centered perspective, rather than a self-centered one. Again, Lumbucha used to ask people, if you can't go forwards and you can't go backwards and you can't stand still, where do you go? He had a great skill of bringing things down to a very tangible level. If you can't go forwards, you can't go backwards, you can't stand still, what do you do? Where can you go? People would say, well, maybe sideways, climb a tree, dig a hole. They say, no, you can't go sideways, can't go up or down. If you can't go forwards, you can't go backwards, you can't stand still, what do you do? Well, this was the very last message that Lumpur Cha sent to Lumpur Sumato back in 1981. That's before he had his stroke and, and uh, was, suffered brain damage. He sent a letter to Lumpur Sumato at Chithurst. And in that he said, uh, whenever you have feelings of love or hate for anything whatsoever, these will be your aids and partners in building paramita. The Buddha Dhamma is not to be found in moving forwards, nor in moving backwards, nor in standing still. This Sumato is your place of non-abiding. So rather than sending his final instructions, he knew his health was fading, and he probably wouldn't see Ajahn Sumato again, or be able to visit England again. Instead of a long list of do this, don't do that, and please make sure you keep this practice going, and so on and so forth, he gave this essential instruction. The Buddha Dhamma is not to be found in moving forwards, nor in moving backwards, nor in standing still. This is the place of non-abiding. So this is encouraging the attitude of not seeing the practice of Dhamma in terms of self and time and what I want, what I should do, where I should go, how I should be, how I shouldn't be, how the monastery should be run, how it shouldn't be run, what you should build, what you shouldn't build, where you should go, where you shouldn't go. All of that is practicing in terms of self-view, what I should do, what I need to get, how I need to develop, what I should get rid of. Self-view has taken over, hijacked the practice. So where do you go? You can't go forwards, you can't go back, you can't stand still. 
as a letting go of seeing this life, this mind, this body, in terms of time and location, identity. A quality of awareness, that awakened knowing vijja, awareness, is unlocated in space. It's not personal, it's not an individual. It's ever-present, it's not connected to time. It's always here, this very means whereby this life, this world is experienced, is ever-present. It's non-personal. It's felt here within this life, within this, these bodies of ours, these minds of ours. But just like gravity, we don't create gravity or possess gravity, but we feel it. It's felt here because of the karma of this birth. But it's not a personal quality. It's not owned. It's not who and what we are. It's not me or mine or made by me doesn't belong to me. We don't say, my gravity. But it's felt, it's known here. So this timeless quality of Dhamma, this awakened awareness, which is the activity of Dhamma, it's known here, it happens here. It's felt within the, the agency of this life. So what this advice of Lumpur Cha is pointing to is letting go of self-view, letting go of time and place and identity. That's the only way to solve that puzzle. If you can't go forward, you can't go back, you can't stand still. What can the mind do except stop identifying with time and place and identity? then the puzzle is solved. Stop conceiving a person that is some place, who has some age, who has a name, a story. If the mind doesn't conceive the person, then what is the mind? It's awake, it knows. It's non-personal. It knows the person, it knows this body, these feelings, these sounds of the words, the mood of the day, it knows the personal, but it's not a person. So in recollecting Lumpur Cha, expressing gratitude for his teachings, along with the expression of the, the appreciation for all that he's given, the amazing the abundance of teachings that he he he, uh, he gave as as talks, his example as a practitioner, his incredible warm open heart, his generosity. These are all aspects of worldly conditions. Those are the kind of things that get praised or get named. But if we really want to praise and to venerate, to revere the teacher in the best way, 
The most skillful thing to do is to embody that insight. That place that Lumpur was speaking from when he, when he said, I don't have an age, I don't live anywhere. Didn't mean to say that the body wasn't born, but the bodies are born, they die. But what's that got to do with anything real? Really? And speaking in that same dialogue about where an arahant does and doesn't reappear or not reappear, Buddha was speaking to Vachagota, and he said, you know, Vachagota, you're asking a question in the way that presumes a reality that doesn't exist. You say, where does an arahant go? Go doesn't apply. Reappear doesn't apply. Does not reappear does not apply. The way you ask the question presumes a reality that does not exist. If we had a fire burning here, a little fire of grass and sticks and the fire went out and I asked you, where did the fire go? North, south, east or west? What would you say? So it didn't go anywhere, it just went out. The Buddha said exactly. The way the question is asked presumes a reality that doesn't exist. When you ask, where does an enlightened being go? The way you put the question doesn't match the way that reality is. And the Buddha went on to speak about his own subjective experience. He said that material form, as feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, whereby one who is trying to describe the Tathagata, trying to describe the Buddha, that material form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, whereby one who is trying to describe the Buddha describes him, that has been cut off at the root, made like a palm tree stump, deprived of the conditions for existence and rendered incapable of arising in the future. The Tathagata is liberated from being reckoned in terms of form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. He is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, Vacha, like the great ocean. Now, even though the Buddha is talking about his own subjective experience in that teaching, when he says Tathagata, we can use that, we can substitute that for Vicha, our own experience of knowing, this mind's quality of knowing right now. It's profound, immeasurable, unfathomable. but you can't really define it as a person. That wisdom, that knowing, is liberated from being reckoned in terms of the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. It's present, profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean, but undefinable, unimaginable. It can't be imagined. It can't be described, really. but it can be embodied. This heart, this mind can be awake, it can know. 
knows all the arisings and passings, but is not limited by them. So if we wish to honor the teaching of Lumpur Cha and the legacy of practice that uh, we have inherited from him, the best way is to embody that insight, to be that wisdom, to be that knowing. This is the way that the gestures of respect and gratitude, honor, are most perfectly formed. We have shrines and flowers and beautiful recollections of the words that he spoke, pictures. But their real value is in the way that these beautiful things, these carefully formed offerings, they lead the mind towards that insight, that realization. That's their value. That's what makes them the gestures of respect and gratitude, the time to have a day of Acharya Puja, what makes it a holy day, is this very heart, being this very knowing. That's what makes it holy. 